Luke 2, 1 and 2 tell us that the birth of Jesus took place during a census or count of the people that was ordered by the emperor of the time, Caesar Augustus. My series thus far on the virgin birth has considered evidence for the virgin birth, and now I'm turning to some of the objections that have been raised. So it's inevitable that I'm going to have a video on the census because this census that Luke describes in Luke 2, 1 and 2 has been the source and the center of a great deal of scholarly discussion and controversy, so much that I'm not even going to try to describe all of it for you. I'm going to link an accompanying blog post in the video description below, which will get into some additional issues that I can't fit into this video. In this video, I'm just going to make four main points. The first point I want to make is that Luke himself is a historical source for that time period. And therefore, if he tells us that there was a census in Judea at this time, that is evidence for a census in Judea at this time. You will sometimes hear the completely legitimate point that when you have a historian of proven credit and you have an apparent problem with that historian, you should give him the benefit of the doubt. That's true too. And we can apply that here to the extent that we think there's a problem. But we should realize that a great deal of the objection to the census here is that he is the only source we have for a census at this time and in this place. But that's not really necessarily a problem in history. I recently debated an atheist, Jonathan Pierce, about the nativity narratives, and naturally we discussed the census. That debate has been aired by now, and I will also link that in the video description. One of the things that Pierce said was, we wouldn't even suspect that there was a census at this time if it weren't for Luke, words to that effect. You say that like it's a bad thing. There are lots of historical events that we wouldn't suspect had happened if it weren't for the historical source that tells us that they happened. Luke is a historical source in his own right. In fact, the Gospel of Luke was probably written even before Josephus' Antiquities, which uh, is the work that is sometimes used to allegedly contradict Luke about this matter, and I'll get into that as we go on. But let's just remember to begin with that um, the fact that we don't have something somewhere else recording this is not really an argument against a historian like Luke for whom we have other evidence of his truthfulness when he tells us that it did happen. In fact, just to say that he's a Christian doesn't mean that he's going to be telling us falsely about an event like a census. There's no, nothing especially Christian-y about uh, a census ordered by Caesar Augustus in Judea. So there's no reason to say, well, he's a Christian, so he's biased. You mean he's biased in favor of saying there was a census when there wasn't? Why would that be? Sometimes the claim will be made that it is because Luke is trying to fulfill the prophecy of Micah 5.2 that the one who would govern Israel would be born in Bethlehem, and therefore that Luke has a problem because Jesus was Jesus of Nazareth, and he has to make him born in Bethlehem to fulfill the prophecy. Well, just to begin with, Luke doesn't seem to show any awareness of that prophecy. He may have known of it, but he certainly doesn't mention it. Matthew does mention it. Luke does not mention it. So 
maybe he knew about it and maybe he didn't, but it's quite a conjecture to say that he's inventing or moving the census in order to fulfill a prophecy. Moreover, this would be an awfully big thing to do just to make Jesus be born in Bethlehem. It would be like crushing a nut with a steamroller. Here you need to have your chief character born in a certain town and instead of just saying that his mother and father lived in the town and his father was a carpenter there and having him born there and then moving them to Nazareth maybe later when he's a small child, you move an entire census 12 years from when it happened or alternatively if you want to put it this way, move the birth 10 to 12 years later than it really happened and you invent that his mother was from Nazareth, and then you move them all the way down to Bethlehem for the birth, and then you move them all the way back, why do it that way? So there's no reason to think of Luke as anything other than just a historical source telling us that this census took place at the time of Jesus' birth. The second point, which is very easy to see, is that um, a skeptic, and Pierce is an example here, will sometimes say that Luke and Matthew contradict one another about the question of whether Jesus was born when Herod the Great was alive. Matthew is, of course, very explicit that Herod the Great was alive at this time and even after Jesus' birth for a while. Um, and they'll say that Luke contradicts this because Luke is supposedly putting Jesus' birth at the time of a census in what we would call AD 6, which is quite a bit later and is after the death of Herod the Great. But that's just wrong. Luke 1.5 expressly sets these events in the days of Herod the King. That's right when Luke is launching into the story of the conception of John the Baptist, and Jesus is only six months younger than John the Baptist. So Luke is well aware that Jesus was born during the time of Herod. In fact, he affirms it, but in a way that is different from and independent from the, the manner in which Matthew affirms it. So they actually mutually reinforce one another on that point of Jesus being born during the time of Herod the Great, uh, known as Herod the King. So that's just completely wrong. There's no contradiction between Luke and Matthew. The third point is that skeptics will say that this is just completely improbable that there would be a census in Judea at that time on independent historical grounds, and so we should just reject it out of hand. Now I'm going to talk about this somewhat more in the associated blog post that I'll link in the video description, because one thing that will be said is that you would never get a, a, a Roman-ordered count of the people or taxation of the people in a client kingdom, which is what this was under Herod the Great. Um, skeptics are given to making these exaggerated statements. This is just a priori would never happen, as if they know how things were done at that time, contrary to a source much closer to the actual time. And that's a very exaggerated statement. There's evidence against it. They'll also get this idea that it's just historically wildly improbable by overreading Luke. Now, Luke says that everyone had to return to his own city. And then he says that Joseph returned to Bethlehem because he was, quote, of the house and lineage of David to be enrolled with Mary, who was great with child. One might infer from this that everyone had to return to his ancestral city, but Luke doesn't actually say that. He says it was because he was of the house and lineage of David, but that 
connection that Joseph's family had with the lineage of David could have resulted in their continuing to have a connection with the town of Bethlehem and having a connection at that time so that they had property in Bethlehem at that time. And this was Joseph's home, even though he was living for a while in Nazareth and that he needed to return to Bethlehem to be enrolled because, indirectly, he was of the house and lineage of David. Nowhere does Luke say that everybody in the Roman world had to go back to his uh, ancestral home from a thousand years ago. And in fact, we have an Egyptian census around the year 100 where we actually see people being told to return to their own hearth or their own home. Uh, and I talked about this a bit in the previous video as well. The concept of Joseph's having more than one place that could be regarded as his home is actually not implausible that he could have been living with Mary, but having his permanent home, his family home in Bethlehem. So an exaggerated reading will then lead them to say, everybody in the whole Roman world had to go from every part of the Roman world back to the home of their ancestors a thousand years ago. That's ridiculous. Well, it is pretty implausible and Luke doesn't actually say it. And in fact, uh, it's also not at all clear that he's saying that the entire Roman Empire had to be enrolled right then immediately at that time uh, and that that was what was going on. There's more that can be said about that, but he uses that phrase, the whole world, uh, referring to a famine that was apparently especially harsh in Judea. And that comes up in Luke's other work, the Book of Acts. So we shouldn't overread the uh, all the world either. And then fourthly, we come to the reference to Quirinius, which is considered to be the toughest part of all of this. Now, the, uh, the skeptical claim here is that Luke is just clearly saying that Jesus was born at the time of the census, which we know took place in AD 6 under the governor Quirinius. That is false. That is false. In fact, Luke has this word there in the Greek that is often translated first. And the skeptic really doesn't have an account of that. If all that Luke wanted to say was that Jesus was born at the time of the census that took place in 86, he could have just said, and this took place at the time of the census when Quirinius was governor of Syria, full stop. He didn't have to say this was the first census or this census first took place or this census took place before. As we'll see, there are various ways of translating the Greek there responsibly, but he didn't have to put that word first in there at all, which makes it actually rather complicated. There is legitimate scholarly debate about the best way A to translate and B to interpret what Luke says about the first census and the governor Quirinius. That is not just arising from desperate Christian apologists trying to evade the one and only obvious clear meaning of what Luke says. In fact, I would say that uh, the idea that Luke is claiming that this was uh, the census in AD 6 is probably the least probable of all the options. For one thing, because Luke is well aware that this is during the time when Herod the Great is alive, as I already mentioned, and that's far too early. And also, Luke is well aware of that other census in AD 6, and it comes up in a speech he reports from the rabbi Gamaliel in Acts 5. 
So Luke knows that this isn't happening in the year that we would call AD 6. That much I think we can say definitely. But as far as translating what he says and interpreting what he says about Quirinius, there are a lot of very responsible options, and that's why so much ink has been spilled by historians, not just by desperate Christian apologists, because it's, it's hard to know exactly what he's saying, but he's clearly trying to get at something. If I had to bet, I would probably put my top pick, but not by a big margin, on the uh, translation preferred by a scholar named John Thorley. I will be linking Thorley's uh, entry on JSTOR from a 1979 article, and you can get that article by setting up a free account on JSTOR where you can read articles. And it's about what, what Luke really said. One of the things I like about Thorley is the way that he just frankly treats Luke as a historian and as a historical source. That doesn't mean that he necessarily thinks he's inerrant or that he's writing the word of God. In fact, he mentions the possibility that Luke made a small historical error here of confusing two Roman names, and he's open to that. He says that the most natural translation of the Greek is something like, this was the first census when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Or this was the first census that was made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That allows the word first to just act very naturally as a adjective for census. And it is implying that there was more than one census made when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And um, Luke, being aware of the other one, is trying to distinguish that now, this raises another supposed problem, which is that Josephus, probably writing later than Luke in his Jewish antiquity, supposedly lists all the governors of Syria, and there's no room for Quirinius in there. The word that Luke uses is hegemon, which doesn't have to be technically governor. It could just be a guy who is, in some sense, in charge. Quirinius was alive at this time. He was a military leader at this time. He was in the same very broad general vicinity of the empire at this time, and things weren't always uh, lovely and friendly between Caesar Augustus and the client King Herod the Great. And we could imagine that Caesar Augustus might have had Quirinius be in charge of a census at this time in, in that region. So this is possible. So that's probably the, the most natural reading of what Luke is saying, that it's the first of two implied censuses that were made when Quirinius was hegemon of Syria. But another reasonable option, which is advocated by N.T. Wright, is that this census was before the one when Quirinius was governor of Syria, taking that word that sometimes could be translated first as meaning before. Now you'll see arguments that, no, you absolutely can't translate the Greek this way. It's not as apparently natural a translation of the Greek as the previous one I gave, but it's not wildly improbable either. And there are other examples in, uh, in the Bible that could be of a similar kind. So again, let's not be hasty and say, oh, this is just ridiculous. This is just Christians trying to, to get out of this problem. It is an entirely possible and responsible reading of the Greek. This census was before Quirinius was governing Syria. All right. And then the third, which doesn't come in a, a, a distant third by any means, is this census, this 
first census was completed when Quirinius was governing Syria. We know that there was a census in Gaul uh, right around the same time that took decades to finish. The idea here is that the numbering may have taken place, the counting of property and people and whatnot and so forth, and then that maybe 11 years later or so, when Quirinius was governing Syria, this was actually used for taxing, and that was their cause to rebellion. They were, they were not happy about that. So that's the was made word there. This census was first completed when Quirinius was governor of Syria, or this first census was completed when Quirinius was governor of Syria. That's a possibility as well. So there are a lot of possibilities here that do not even involve Luke's making any error. And then, as I mentioned before, uh, Thorley raises a possibility that would involve Luke's making a slight error in thinking that Quirinius was governor twice through confusing two Roman names, but still knowing that there was actually a census at that time as well, and giving us information about it. What I want to do by laying out these possibilities for you is to give you the knowledge necessary to resist the kind of bullying that you'll get from skeptics and occasionally from uh, biblical scholars who are uh, um, Christians or are, are listed as Christians as well, to the effect that there's just this huge, huge problem with the census and that you're just being weird or engaging in some sort of pious imagination if you try to save Luke from this. In fact, this census will even be used to dismiss Luke's credibility as a historian altogether, which is a very irresponsible historical practice, given all the other vast amounts of data we have showing what a good historian he is. In fact, I would go so far as to say this, the very fact that there can be such a controversy about what Luke meant and about whether he's right or not, whether he's right about this or wrong about that, is a result of the fact that he is a historian and that he has a strongly historical intention. Luke did not need to mention a census at all, and he did not need to mention Quirinius at all. He mentions them because he is talking about real history and these events happening within real history. And that's why he is relating them to a real world event that he believes occurred, namely a census, and a real person whom he knows existed, namely Quirinius, because he is saying that God came down and was made a man in the real world of history. And he wants to tell us very precisely how that happened. Thanks for watching. Please click like and click the bell to get notifications and subscribe and share and do all that good stuff and continue to watch this series on the infancy narratives and the virgin birth. And if I don't put up another video before then, Merry Christmas to all of you who are watching this video now.